In 2013, Seacoast Church celebrates 25 years of serving God and changing lives. God has blessed Seacoast immeasurably, but we believe that the best is yet to come. Next is about celebrating our here while asking God to show us our there. Next is also about God's plan for you. He has a next for you, whether you know it or not. So let's take some time to discover your next and what it will take to get there. Seacoast seems to offer um, something different from everyone else. It's like if I have a need, if I need to go to the church just to sit, just to pray, the doors I know are for the most part always going to be open. And that's what a lot of people need. That's what I needed. The Dream Center is so, it's such a vital part of the community. I don't think people truly understand. You know, when you're there and you see people coming from all walks of life, you know, worshiping together and loving each other together. You know, some people come in there, they're homeless. You know, they don't even have anywhere to go when they leave. But, you know, there's someone sitting right next to you who says, you know what, it doesn't matter what you're going through. I love you. God loves you. Let's figure it out. You talk to people all the time and you say, where are you from? I'm from downtown, I'm from Adams Run, and I'm saying to myself, these people found it in themselves enough to say, if I could just get to the Dream Center, it's gonna be okay. It's like the story, you know, the lady said, if I could just touch the hem of Jesus, you know, his garment, if I could just get there, everything's gonna be okay. That's what the Dream Center is for some people. I've never come into a situation at the church where someone has had a need, where there was not someone there to try to figure out how to make that situation better. It's not, okay, well, I'll pray for you and you go on about your way. It's come here, let me pray for you, let me follow up with you, and let me make sure that this is taken care of so that you're okay from this point on. You can see appreciation in their faces. It, it reads, thank you. You don't know the burden that you've taken off my shoulder. You don't know that when I go home in the evening, I don't have anything to feed my children. Or you don't know when I go home, my kids don't have clean clothes for the next day. Or you don't know that if my kids wasn't in this mentoring program, I don't know where they would be. That's, that's what it does. It gives people a place to be and everyone needs to belong somewhere and it's a place where you can belong regardless of who you are or what you've done or what you have you belong there you belong well good morning let's give it up for the dream center I'll tell you what, I like a volunteer that's passionate about what they're doing, don't you? Well, it's great to see you this weekend. What a, what a wonderful weekend. It really has been for our family. Uh, this weekend we're celebrating, actually today, my, my wife's birthday. And uh, so we got out uh, yesterday, went downtown Charleston, walked around. What a beautiful city we live in. And just did a little shopping, bought, bought me some boots. That's kind of how we roll uh, <laughs> with the whole 
with the whole birthday thing. <laughs> she got some stuff too. Let, let me ask you guys a question, especially guys, okay? Listen to me. Uh, hey, hey, do you ever have stuff in your house that just goes missing? You know, and I'm not talking about, I'm, listen, I'm not talking about when your sons or your son-in-laws come over to borrow tools just for a little while, Dad. I'll get those right back and you never see them again. Now, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you misplace stuff. When you lose stuff, you know, right in, the, in plain sight and you need someone else with discernment to help you to locate them. Anybody have a story about that? I've got one as recent as last night. After last night's service, um, we did uh, what we do a lot. We hang around. We're the last ones here usually. And whoever's left, a few family members, you know, kids, grandkids, whatever, and maybe a couple, three friends, we, we go eat at a little restaurant right across the parking lot from us. And last night I just gathered probably 10, 15 people up, you know. And uh, it's not quiet when it's our family. And we, we don't go to places where you've got to be quiet, you know. And so we went to the restaurant, and we're there, and we're about, we're about oh, 20, 25 minutes into the ordeal or, or the meal, and uh, I get a phone call from Joshua, my son. And now the last time I saw Joshua, uh, he, we, we were leaving the church, and he was in what we affectionately call the bullpen. It's a little kind of an office just right off the doors to my right, and that's where we collect our thoughts. We've got a couch and a couple of chairs and a table and a little kitchen sink in there. And uh, he was in there. And he had his three children, his six-year-old boy, four-year-old girl, and his newborn. And uh, uh, Lisa was, had been running errands that night. She didn't come to church with him probably here today. And uh, the, he, uh, he was feeding the newborn who had just stopped howling because he had started putting a bottle in. And I asked him, I said, do you want to come with us? And he said, no. He said, I've got to feed you know, the little one and Ellie, and, and uh, we're going to meet Lisa for dinner at the house a little bit later. So thanks for asking. Well, that's the last I'd seen. Well, he calls me. I'm thinking something's up. He says, Dad, he said, uh, you didn't happen to pick up my keys, did you, when you went to the restaurant? And I checked, and I said, no, I don't think so. He said, did any of the other kids? I can't find them. I said, well, let me hang up. We'll do a search here, and I'll call you back and let you know. So we checked, and none of us had them. And so I called him back, and uh, I could tell there was a little anxiety in his, in his voice. And he said, well, he said, um, uh, Greta Kate was jumping on the couch, and she bumped her head, and she's bleeding pretty good, and I can't find the keys, and I said, I'll be there in just a minute. So I got in my car and went over here and, and pulled in, and, and, and as I did, Greta Kate had settled down, uh, and she's sitting in one of the chairs, and she just looks so forlorn. She's got this white burp cloth against her head, and it's full of blood, and tears and snot and stuff, and she's just kind of sitting there, and when she sees me, you've got to understand, she's our vocal one, and kind of dramatic, and she also has uh, touch as a love language. She always wants to talk and touch, touch, so she had me come over, and I sit down, she put her hand on me, and then she began to rehearse the story, and as she did, she became very emotional about what had just happened. When she got to the end of her story, there's kind of a, a quiet gap, and Miles, a six-year-old, says, it, you need to know about Miles. He observes things and then at times makes pithy comments about what he observes. And so he's observing this whole situation. 
the keys and Greta Kate's head and all of this, and he says, you know, guys, it sucks for us, he says. <laughs> but it really sucks for Greta Kate. <laughs> to which his dad lovingly appreciates the fact that he cares for his sister, but he says, that's not a word we use. I wonder where you learned that. Well, I'm thinking, I knew his dad. I'm pretty sure I know where he learned the word. You know. <laughs> and so I said to Josh, I said, okay, we need to, have you looked all over? He said, yeah. He said, I've looked, I've torn the place apart. I said, let's do it again. So we took the couches, you know, the, the pillows off the couch and the cushions, and we looked underneath and everything. We couldn't find it. Then we, I said, what about the diaper bag? So we took the diaper bag on the table. We emptied everything out. We're looking through absolutely nothing. Miles has another observation. He says, you know, I've seen on TV, and I've actually seen with my own eyes sometimes that things actually disappear. And he said, <laughs> he said I think the keys have disappeared, and Dad, it's okay. It's going to be all right. We're, thanks, Miles. And at about that time, about that time, we hear a knock on the door, and, and a frantic mother comes in. Lisa comes. And uh, she goes immediately to Greta Kate. Uh, Greta Kate's fine by this point, just the bloody rag, but sees mom, touches, and goes into the whole emotional story, <laughs> relives the thing. Mom is not only a mom, but she's a PA. So she examines very closely her head and, and finds that although there's a, uh, quite a bit of blood, it's just a very small thing, your head bleeds, she's going to be okay, no stitches. And so she cleans her up a little bit, and then she says, guys, have you looked for the keys? We said everywhere. She said, have you looked in the diaper bag? We said yes. She goes to the diaper bag, unzips a side pocket, pulls the keys out. <laughs> says something about geniuses and... Uh, And sometimes you just need help finding what's lost. Is that right? How many of you would, would relate to that? Well, the truth is we all experience disappointments. We all experience setbacks. We all experience losses. Many of them are painful. Some of them are tragic. Most are not as trivial as keys in a diaper bag. But it's how we respond to the losses in life that oftentimes determines our destiny how we're going to see life, how we're going to live life, how we're going to respond to life in the future. And God oftentimes uses those difficult moments in our lives to transition us from where we are to where, where we need to be, to go from here to there, to get to God's next for us. Oftentimes, and by the way, he has a next for all of us, oftentimes it takes traumatic things in our lives uh, to get there. We're in a series right now called Next, uh, From Here to There, and what we're doing is, is uh, we're looking at our church. In fact, the first couple of weeks we've looked at our, our own life, and we'll do that this week. Next week we start looking at our church. Where are we going from here to there? What's next for us? And then um, all of us hopefully will be here gathered, bring a friend uh, to the 25th anniversary service, which will be uh, November 22nd, 23rd weekend. And uh, we've got uh, people from the past coming in. It's going to be a great celebration. We want you to be a part of that. But what we're doing on the weekend is we're studying characters from the Bible who were in various uh, forms of transition. God getting them to their next. Uh, they, they knew where they were oftentimes. But, and they, sometimes they saw where they were going to be, the, the there, here, there. 
but how do you get from here to there? Last week we talked about Joshua, who what he needed is he needed courage to go from here to there. Um, this week we're going to talk about another uh, character who, uh, w- one of the uh, things that God often uses to get you from here to there are life-giving relationships. People that he divinely brings into our lives for a season, sometimes it's a lifetime season, sometimes it's just a season that he brings into our lives to get us from here to there, to the next that God has for you. People who can help you find what you've lost temporarily. And this week I, I want to talk about one of those stories, and we're going to look at one of my favorites in the Old Testament. It's, it's the book of Ruth and the story of Naomi and Ruth. Now some of you have read it. I did a series on it um, several months ago. I want to take a little bit different direction today. Let me give you uh, some backstory on that story. Basically, it in, in begins with um, a man and a wife who lived in Judah. Now, Judah is kind of like a, a county. We live here, if you're uh, right here where we're gathered today, uh, we live in Charleston County. The city we live in is Mount Pleasant. For them, the city was Bethlehem. The county was Judea. The country uh, was Israel. And uh, the, la- the guy's name is Elimelech, and his wife's name is Naomi, whom the story is mostly about her and her uh, daughter-in-law, uh, Ruth. Now, Elimelech and Naomi had two sons, and it's a tough time for them. They're going through a transition that's very difficult. There's a famine in the land in Israel. Uh, they've had to sell everything, including family land, in order to live. And finally, Elimelech says to his family, we're going to move. And so they go to Moab, which is not all that far away, but it really is a lifetime away because it's in a foreign country that is a a traditional enemy of Israel. They have to go across the Jordan River. It's in current date. It would be in the country of Jordan. They go there and they find better times. And so they settle down. He begins to work, plant. uh, They're growing food. And at some point, their two uh, sons come to them and say, how long is this temporary transition going to be? I mean, are we going to stay here a few days, a few weeks, a few months? Would it be okay? Do we need to wait and get married when we go back to Israel? Uh, We've seen some uh, young ladies that we're kind of fond of that are Moabite women. What should we do? Dad says, I give you my blessing. You can marry Moabite uh, women. And so they do. Now, shortly after uh, they marry uh, two young women, um, uh, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. And then not long after that, her two sons die. This is a tough season. Can you imagine? Husband, both sons. And so she gathers her um, widowed uh, daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, and uh, she tells them that she's going to go home, that there really isn't a place for her here. There's family in Bethlehem, regardless of how difficult it is there. She's going to go, and she tells them, why don't you go to your own families? Uh, I release you from any obligation. Um, You uh, go, and you can remarry here in your own land. Just an an incredibly emotional uh, scene, I'm sure. In fact, the Scripture records it this way. In Ruth chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, and again they wept together. And Orpah, that's not Oprah, that's Orpah. 
Some of you think or- Oprah's in the Bible. She's not. Uh, that's Orpah. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So today, what I want to talk about is what happens when you trust God and embrace divine relationships that he brings into our lives. People, God has people preordained, a divine flow relationship to help you get from here to there. You've got to learn to recognize them, embrace them, and nurture them, and God will use them in the transitional points in your life. And so if you're going through a transition right now, which many, many people are, if you're not in one, you'll probably be in one at some point because life is in and out of things. It's transition. Here's one of the things that you need to go from here to there. How do you build uh, life-giving, divine flow relationships? Let me give you three things that I see from this story. Number one, they take discernment. They take discernment. Now, what is discernment? Discernment is the ability to judge well. It's, it's that you have good judgment, good discernment. You can see that this is good. This person is good. This person is not good. I, I was uh, uh, eating with a guy this week, and he's, I, we were talking about his wife, and he said, my wife has incredible discernment. She can tell, you know, when a person's motives are good and when they're not. She said, in fact, he's a pastor. He said, the, the people on my staff are real nervous to get around her because, you know, they, they feel like she can kind of know what the, what the discernment is. And it's good to have good discernment. It's not good to not have good discernment. I mean, have you ever uh, known anybody that didn't have good fashion discernment? Yeah, that's, that's not good. In fact, the entire 80s, the decade of the 80s, were a decade of poor fashion choices and discernment. Just because it fits doesn't mean you should wear it type of thing. So we need to discern people. Is this someone that God has brought into my life for a higher purpose than just a casual friendship. Maybe it's just for this season. And let me just say this. If you're married, I'm not talking about that. Okay? (laughs) Some of you are going, it's just for a season? Praise God. (laughs) I want to hear this message. This is good. No, 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 no. Those are covenant relationships. Okay? Covenant. They're a whole different deal. There's a whole different type of relationship that God brings into our lives for a higher purpose. I call them divine flow relationships. See, there are all kind of people in our life. Some people are troubled. Do you know anybody like that? They're troubled. And those people should be avoided. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33 says, do not be fooled. Now, here's a rule of thumb. When the Bible says and starts off a command with don't be fooled, it means you probably will be, okay? So your antennas need to go up. It says, don't be fooled. Bad companions ruin good character. Any testimonies on that? Yeah. There are, there are people 
who pull you down and not build you up. He says, avoid them. There are people who are not good for your addictions. You know, how many stories have I heard of people who you know, had addictive behavior and, and got through them through a Celebrate Recovery or, or a, you know, a 12-step program of some kind, and, and they're doing good, and they go back into the relationships that they had before, and it pulls them down because there are some people that are not good for your character. You ought to avoid them. There are people that are not good for your marriage. They pull it down, not lift it up, that are not good for your spiritual growth. Some people are just not good people. Some people are draining people. They're not necessarily trouble people, but they're draining. You know anybody like that? I mean, they always want something. You get a call. You look at the caller ID. How do you know it's a draining person? I'll take that one later. You always want something, and it's just a drain. You're, you're going to have people like that in your life, but uh, don't let them control your schedule. Uh, some people are comfortable people. You just cherish them as friends. I sat down with a couple of guys this week in two different uh, situations, and uh, both of them, we've, we've expressed to each other, you know, we're, we're low-maintenance friends to each other. I'm probably never going to need anything from you, although we probably will, but it's the type of person that whatever you need, whatever you need, because it's a comfortable relationship. Some people are inspiring, and um, they, they just inspire you to be around. Get time with them when you can. But some people are a divine flow. They are planted by God for this season of your life, and you need to recognize them, discern them, celebrate them, and embrace them as a gift from God. Now, in the story that we read, Ruth um, sees a divine flow in the relationship with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Uh, Ruth is a, is a young widow. She's just lost her husband. That's devastating under any circumstances, but especially in that culture. She's hurting, she's lonely, she's scared uh, because she is a widow. If she doesn't remarry soon, she will find herself destitute, maybe becoming a slave, maybe even having to sell herself because it's not like she could just go get a job or get a re-education or whatever. In the culture that she's in, women are not celebrated. And she's got to be married in order to own land, in order to uh, provide for herself and any future kids that she has. So it's a devastating situation. And then Naomi, her mother-in-law, says, I'm leaving. I'm going to go home. I'm going back to Israel. Ruth sees a seed of destiny in the relationship. And she says, I'm not leaving you. I'm not going back home. Don't push me away. Where you go, I will go. Now, Ruth could have given up at this point. Naomi says, you go on. Your sister-in-law did the same thing. You go on, I'm leaving. Ruth could have given up, had a pity party, lived life as a victim, and died a bitter old woman. But she chooses not to. Instead, she made a choice to believe that God had brought Naomi into her life for more than just being her mother-in-law. It was a divine flow. Her destiny was tied to that relationship. She discerned a divine connection. And sometimes God does that. He brings relationships into your life for a divine purpose to get you from here to there during a transitional period of your life. I thought about that in my own life. There's lots of them. I'll just give you two or three. Uh, after Debbie and I married, I, I began working for Hewlett Packard 
uh, company, and it was a great company. It was during a real heady time. It was the 70s in, in the computer industry, and uh, things were just booming and growing. And um, at, at HP one day, my uh, supervisor came and said, uh, HP is going to build a new factory in um, uh, Corvallis, Oregon, and we'd like you to go and lead a team there, and we'll give you a bonus, and the bonuses were absolutely incredible. Uh, we'll give you a very significant salary. Uh, we'll let you complete a, your engineering degree while you work at, uh, I think it's Oregon State is in Corvallis, I believe. And, uh, uh, you know, just a, an incredible, incredible thing. I came home, Deb was, you know, we were nervous about leaving Colorado, but she was excited uh, because of the security that it would bring. Her family was really excited because their son-in-law has a good job, you know, and this kind of thing. And uh, we had been attending a small church in the city that we lived in. And that week, unbeknownst, I mean, the pastor had no idea what was going on, but he called me and he said, I'd like to meet you for breakfast on Saturday morning. I told Debbie, he's going to offer me a job. I know he's going to. I don't know why, but I know he's going to. And so we went to breakfast, and sure enough, he said, I believe that you're supposed to be in full-time ministry. I know you had some of that in your background. You're to be in full-time ministry, and we want to offer you a job as a youth pastor at our church. Right now, I was teaching the, the youth Sunday school class. And uh, I said, well, that, you know, that's interesting. And, and he said, uh, some, at some point, he got around to pay, and here was the pay. He said, your wife has to quit her job because she had a full-time job because I want her to be available to you and the kids and we're going to pay you $6,500 a year uh, for the privilege of doing this. And uh, <laughs> that was less than the bonus, you know, <laughs> by far, many times that HP was offering. And, and, so, and so I went home and I told Debbie, and she said, well, what do you think? And I, I said, I think we're supposed to do this. I think we're supposed to do this. Well, how are we going to do this? We did, and we moved into government housing. Uh, we, sold, we, we were living in the nicest, you know, place that our money could buy in the city, and we sold our brand-new sports car, and we bought an old, you know, beater and all this kind of stuff, and, and, uh, and, we, and we went to church there. We, we went to work there, and that man was used by God to get me from here to there for a season of, of my life. Now, in the fairness of uh, being real, he was not a nice man. He was a very difficult man to work for. The first thing he said is, um, uh, we expect you to take one day off a week. I want, you're going to work six days, 10-hour days, and uh, you're going to have one day off, and your day off will be Sunday. And now on Sunday, uh, I taught a Sunday school class. I led worship on Sunday morning and Sunday night and did a youth meeting on Sunday afternoon, but that was my day off, okay? And it, it, I, I won't even go into uh, some of the, some of the uh, just abusive behavior. So sometimes the people that God brings into your life are not exactly, you know, what you would have looked for, but it was for a season, and it was to get me from here to there. It was a divine flow. I thought of another one. Um, Several years later, we were pastoring in northern Illinois, and you've heard my northern Illinois stories, uh, but uh, um, cold, uh, winter, and Fred Richard, who pastors Northwood Assembly here in town, just one of the finest men I know, one of the great leaders that I know, and he's married to uh, my cousin, and uh, he called me one day, and he said, uh, the elders of our church have been praying. He had no idea I was looking to go somewhere else. I, where I wanted to go was I wanted to plant a church. 
and we went to Chicago, we went to Denver, we went to Houston, uh, several different cities. We're looking at possibilities of planting churches. Just really hadn't heard God yet. And he said, our elders want you to move here and someday maybe plant a church. And I thought, and I told him, I said, I don't think so. Uh, I lived in Denver, I'm in Illinois, that's as far east as I want to go. Um, I lived in Los Angeles for a little while. God's going to use me in the west, I, I know that. And uh, he said, well, you need to come down. I said, well, I don't think so, thank you. And so he would call me weekly with weather reports from Charleston. <laughs> he would say, he would say uh, what's the weather like up there? I said, it's, well, it's cloudy, it's cloudy every day and it's cold today, and it's snowing, or whatever, and he'd say, well, got my flip-flops and shorts on, I'm here at the office, and that's just kind of the apparel that we wear, you know, which he was lying, but, uh, (laughs) so ultimately, God used him to get me from here to there, and it was a divine flow relationship, and it still is. I remember a few years later, um, God dropped a desire in my heart to plant churches, and I came to some of you who were here, and I said, I believe we're supposed to plant 2,000 churches in our lifetime here. And when I said it, I thought, why did you say that? Have you ever thought about something but realized it should not come out here yet? And, uh, and so at about that time, uh, a man named Billy Hornsby came into my life. And uh, Billy was from Louisiana, and he came and he did a conference for us here. I really didn't know him that well. We went and played golf, and he asked me about the dream in my heart, and I said it was to plant 2,000 churches. He said, how many have you planted so far? And I said, well, we're 0 for, for 3 right now. And uh, he said, well, that's not too good, but I think I can help you. And Billy was a divine flow relationship that came into my life, and we've now planted about 400 churches since that day, and we're on our way to 2,000 churches, I believe, in the next uh, uh, six years, I believe we'll be able to plant 2,000 life-giving churches all over the world. But I, I, I believe that I never would have gotten, moved from here to there in that particular point in my life without a divine flow relationship that came alongside of me during transition. I can talk about a lot of them, but that's enough. Can you see divine flow people in your life? Maybe you're in transition now or you have been in the past and God brings people in that help you go from here to there. Recognize them. Thank God for them. In fact, during our response time today, I'm just going to ask you to take some time just to, to say thank you, Jesus, for the people around me who are divine flow relationships. So building life-giving relationships requires discernment. Second thing it requires is courage. Just like Joshua last week needed courage to get to his destiny, Ruth this week is going to need courage to walk into the divine flow relationship that she recognizes. Because usually there comes in one of those types of relationships a crisis moment, a tipping point if you want to call it that, where where it takes some courage to stick in there, to hang in there with it. Uh, Each relationship that that I've had that were divine flow, could have ended prematurely. And there are plenty of opportunities for either one of us to walk away through uh, misunderstanding, through offense that is taken, through just the stuff that life brings. And there comes a time when you've got to go, am I going to hang with it or am I going to walk? Uh, In the scripture, in verse 15, Naomi said to her, Ruth, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. You go home with her. Naomi's saying, I'm getting older. I can't support you. 
You're, you're young, you're beautiful. You can marry again. Go home. And Ruth says, you know what? I'm not going to do it. And that took courage. She's stepping out into the unknown. She's going into a different culture. Imagine them walking into Bethlehem and people saying, I know Ruth, but who's that with you? She doesn't look like you. She doesn't talk like you. She's a Moabite? Oh, my goodness. They're our enemy. How are people going to receive that? It took courage for her to say, I'm going to hang with this relationship. I got an email this week from Angela here in the church, and Angela said this, thank you so much for reaching out to me. She told me that I could do this. She said, I'm actually hosting a next Bible study, small group, for my first time. I didn't know who to invite, a little nervous about it, so I just took a leap of faith and posted it on my Facebook page, (laughs) and God drew people in. One of the women whom I've never met before saw my post on a mutual friend's page and messaged me about how she'd lost her faith but she wanted to know if she could still come. Yes, in, in caps and with exclamation points, of course she can. I now have seven uh, ladies coming in less than 24 hours. And God has already paved the road. He was just waiting for me to have courage and to be obedient. Wow. And I'm glad that I was. It taught me a great lesson on how I could have missed out on an incredible blessing had I not been courageous. We followed up with her and it was a great meeting and seems to be going good. You need courage to step into God-designed relationships. And you don't always know that that's what it is at the very beginning on the front end. But you've got to step out in faith. Either that's hanging on to a relationship or stepping into a new one. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we live by faith, not by sight. How many of you are like me? I'd rather live by sight than by faith. You know, faith is... Uh, believing when common sense tells you not to. It takes courage to trust that God will bring you a divine flow relationship at just the right time in your life. If you're in a difficult season right now, if you've recently experienced a setback or some kind of adversity um, in in your relationship, don't run away from it. Oftentimes we do. You know, when when there's friction in a relationship, when there's a difficult time, rather than running to it, we run away from, we hide. We say, where has so-and-so been? Well, they haven't been in the group or they haven't been in church. And oftentimes, it's because of friction in a God-given relationship. See, what what if you don't feel like you've got that kind of relationship right now? Where do you find them? Well, you're in the right place. The church is, is the right place to find those relationships. Let me give you a couple of, couple of options. Uh, first of all, um, at most of our campuses, many of our campuses, every month, and at uh, all of our campuses, at least every couple of months, we do what's called the inside track. People say, how do I get connected in this church? How do I serve? How do I meet other people? Inside track. Inside track. You go to the inside track. In fact, here at the Long Point campus, I think we're having one today, and the campus pastor here will tell you more about it when the message is over, and we'll also do it at the campuses, where you go and you meet other people. And I don't know how many times I've heard um, stories about how uh, at least seasonal and sometimes lifelong relationships have been developed with other people who've gone to the inside track. Or maybe uh, you just join a small group. Sometimes that's difficult. This is the easiest season of the year to do it because we're doing next uh, uh, small groups. 
and a lot of people have started them, and you can start one of those. We'll give you uh, uh, curriculum and DVDs and what have you. Uh, if you want to do it, just gather a few friends. Or if you don't know people, uh, what they're in every campus, there's a kiosk that says next in the foyer, and you can just go up and say, hey, could you connect me to a small group? Listen, it takes courage. You know, maybe you're going through grief right now. And you've heard about our grief share small groups. And something inside of you says, I don't think I'm ready for that yet. You know what? Don't listen. Don't listen. Sometimes we, we, out of our own insecurity or even the enemy not wanting us to connect pushes us away and pushes us away. And it takes courage to step over the line. Or maybe it's a, a, a divorce care or whatever kind of a, a small group. I want to challenge you to go. You could meet people who may very well be the divine flow that God has for this transitional season to go from here to there. You can meet them on a dream team, a serving team. Step forward by faith. Be discerning, have courage. One more, real quick. Uh, Life-giving relationships produce our destiny. They produce our destiny. Ruth and Naomi get back to Bethlehem, and uh, they've got to figure out how are we going to eat. Now, in God's divine setup for Israel, He's got a place for everybody. It's okay to be rich. Uh, God says he gifts some people to make money, but they've got to be wise with what they do about it. He wants us to take care of the poor and those around us. And so he said, if you have a piece of land and you have a crop, when you go to um, uh, uh, reap the harvest, uh, there are rules in how to do that. You can only go through and make one sweep through your field. Anything you miss or anything that falls off the wagon when you're taking your harvest in, you got to leave it there so widows and those who are traveling through and those who are poor can glean the field. They can go and pick up the things that you left. And so one day, Ruth decides to go and glean a field for some food for her and Naomi in a relative that she didn't know was a relative whose name was Boaz. And in Ruth 2, in verse 1, it says, Now Naomi had a rich relative named Boaz. How many of you are thankful for rich relatives? How many of you would be more thankful if, like in this story, you discovered a rich relative at just the right time? We're all looking for that, okay? Now, he wasn't just any rich guy. He was Ruth's kinsman redeemer. I don't have time to break that out. It's an incredible, incredible concept. It's a Hebrew concept that basically says this, that... um, that this guy was a next of kin with the rights and responsibilities to take a widow in or marry a widow in the family who would otherwise be destined to poverty and maybe slavery. And Ruth happened to be married to Naomi's son. Boaz is a relative of Ruth's or of, of Naomi. And so Boaz finds out who Ruth is And he redeems her. He buys her back from her destiny of poverty and slavery. It's an incredible story. Now, watch what happens through this divine relationship. Because it's not just about Ruth, and it's not just about Boaz. Ruth marries Boaz. They have a child whose name is Obed. Obed grows up, gets married, has a child whose name is Jesse. Jesse grows up gets married, and has a child, and guess what his name is? Some of you know, David. 
David, who is the redeemer of Israel. He's the greatest king Israel has ever had. Well, David, through the seed of David in the line of David, there's somebody else that comes into play. And who's that? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So the seed of destiny was in the relationship between Ruth and Naomi. The moment that Ruth discerned that her relationship with Naomi was a divine flow, a lifelong, life-giving relationship, and when she said, no, I'm not going to leave you, during rough times, I'm with you because she held on, the seed was planted in the relationship that became her destiny. And not only her destiny, but the destiny of Israel and ultimately the destiny of the world. So how does that apply to you? There are seeds of destiny in your divine relationships that you don't even know about. Once you discern that it's from God, you need to have courage to stick with it. You need to have courage to say you're sorry when you need to say you're sorry rather than just walking away. To walk through offenses because you never know what it's going to produce in your children, in your grandchildren, in their children, what God has in mind. I think we have throwaway relationships. I think people leave churches too easily. They leave relationships too easily. They leave marriages too easily. And they neglect the divine flow that God has, the destiny that God has for families and for people. And some of you are getting ready to throw a future away because of an offense or because of seeing things differently or whatever it is. I want you to think about it because God brings divine relationships into your life to help you move through difficult seasons and position you for a bright future. God brings people to help you get from here to there. And I want to challenge you, hang in there. Your destiny and the destiny of your kids and the destiny of your future may be wrapped in it. And God has a good future for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your kingdom. I thank you for how you are, um, you're so involved in all of the details. Even in the things that we don't see. And we look back and we go, God, you were there. And you always are. God, some of us right now may be going through difficult times or just transitions in our lives. Would you help us to, to look for you and to look for the relationships that will help us get from here to there? May your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.